0: Here we are in Santa Barbara.
1: We are in change of location. Woo, location woo. change, vibe change. We're in the hills of Santa Barbara overlooking the ocean. Are we? <laughs> I'm sipping hot lemon water because you don't have any herbal tea. I
0: don't have any decaf tea here, no. Okay, really? <sighs> Slapping like that?
1: Hey, it's been a morning.
0: <laughs> it has been a we've morning. been
1: dealing with technical difficulties, we've been dealing with deadlines for projects, and it's not even noon yet. Well, you have. I've been chilling drinking tea. I've been locked in the bedroom finishing up this music that I'm composing for a short film. Remind me never to compose music for film ever again.
0: Oopsie! <laughs> I will remind you. Well, I'm not gonna. I'm just gonna remind you of this time, and then you're gonna say, "I'm gonna do it anyway," <laughs> and that's how that will go. <laughs> that's what we do when we're in the midst of something
1: that's really difficult. We go, "I'm never doing this again." Yeah. And then you go, "That was fun."
0: Yeah. I do that again. Yeah.
1: They say that about childbirth, but I, I haven't experienced that
0: yet. No. You're going to hear little clippy-clops of the dogs walking around. We have two dogs
1: here as well, so he's clippity-clopping around.
0: There's only so much I can control, and that is not one of the things I can control. Look. I'm feeling out of control. (laughs) It's going to be a long day. Last night, yesterday we had quite a nice day. I mean, you came in the afternoon, and we had, we just did like an impromptu, impromptu, I'm very tired, impromptu. Trip to the beach. Yeah. I made a cheese board for us. It was very. You made very an incredible cute. cheese board.
1: I'm going to post a picture of it on the Instagram for everybody to see. Cheese boards have become a passion of mine. You really are passionate about well, cheese Well, because boards. it's
0: a way that I can get a lot of fat and calories into my body mm-hmm. um, while being artistic at the same time. While also being creative. Yeah. Yeah. And taking few bites yeah <laughs> tiny bites it's not like slamming a pizza uh, yeah. in your mouth so it's just like i can get in a triple cream brie get those kcals in up the bmi get the sugar in with the dates get thick again yeah i'm on a mission to get
1: thick. yeah <laughs> you uh you got down there in the old weight department <laughs> i think it's getting better because i'm wor- working out and stuff it's is it important. you've been doing a lot of physical activity
0: yeah i mean i don't know I, I have body dysmorphia so i could be thinner i could be fatter i could be just the same and i'd have literally no concept of it you tell me but you don't have tell it. me
1: i don't want to know <laughs> i'm not gonna no comment moving on
0: no but you've been doing
1: cheese sports you rode a horse on the beach yeah, the other oh day oh god oh god it was so It was so good. Now, if I rode a horse on the beach, I wouldn't be able to walk for a week. I haven't gotten on a horse since.
0: Well, it's because I've been doing these other activities. I feel like I'm limbered up. Exactly. Stretched out. Exactly. Like a piece of leather. You know,
1: your cheese boards are your reward.
0: My reward, yeah.
1: So it was a delicious cheese board on the beach we had yesterday.
0: And then you were like, hey, do you want to come to a party on a yacht? And we were like yeah yeah we do <laughs> so we took the whole beach gang and we walked ourselves
1: over to where the yachts are and we boarded this boat of a friend of mine and had a fabulous time
0: we really did it was so sweet and everyone was so kind and welcoming yeah. and there were some real characters there there were yes it was really adorable and just lovely and wholesome. Was it cute? It was actually cute, yeah. yeah. Well, when I got off the boat, I said, thank you. That was sweet. <laughs> oh, have we moved on to sweet now? We- well, because you keep giving me shit about saying cute. But anyways, was- one of my friends, Alex said, do you read any Ernest Hemingway? And I said, I haven't. And he said, yesterday was like an Ernest Hemingway day. It was like something from one of his books. I can appreciate that. There. And I thought that was really sweet. And then it made me want to read way like, because I had such a nice day. Yeah. That if that's what the books are about, then I would like to indulge. For some of the darker days ahead, I'd like to have that on the old bedside table, just to flick through, maybe have a little Yeah, escape. you know, you
1: should like maybe start with The Sun Also Rises.
0: Okay, great. Is that Marvelous. nice? It Takes
1: place in Paris.
0: Now, who wrote The Great Gatsby?
1: F. Scott Fitzgerald. Okay, different but guy. Hemingway and Fitzgerald were BFFs.
0: And rivals?
1: Yes. Just fit- like you and
0: me. I feel like there was probably like girl swapping, fist fights, oh, backstabbery. Many fistfights. Backstabbery. Both raging alcoholics. Were they in France? Were they in Italy? They were. Hey, this is the life I'm looking they for. They were moving around. I need, if anyone would like to apply to be my BFF rival, Excuse me, the position is filled. I'm not trying to have a fist fight with you again. (laughs) So everyone said last night that they had really weird dreams. Did you? Yeah, I had a crazy
1: dream, and I tell me about had like a whole life awakening because
0: of it. As well as the technical difficulties and finishing, as well
1: as my film deadline and everything. Jesus, yeah. So I. Okay, bear with me, all right? This is very important, what I'm about to say. Is everyone listening?
0: Yes, otherwise they wouldn't be.
1: I had this dream, and you'll get it by the end of the story, okay? It's gonna come full circle, I promise. In this dream, I was waiting in line to get on a ride. You look bored already. Annabelle is staring off the other direction with her eyes crossed. Are you... I'm listening to you. I need
0: your full attention. I, but I like to stare. I like to do a faraway stare because then I'm not looking anymore, and actually, what you're saying is what I can see. Okay, got it, got it. Got Does that it. make sense? Yep. So, in my dream, I'm
1: waiting in line at Disneyland, and I'm waiting in line for the new Star Wars ride. Okay. At the Star Wars in land. In
0: Anaheim.
1: Yes, in Anaheim, Disneyland. I haven't been to the new Star Wars land or whatever it's called. Have Me you? Me neither.
0: No. Well, There's really no reason for me to go there.
1: Chelsea, our mutual good friend Hamill, who actually introduced us, her dad is Mark Hamill, who plays Luke Skywalker, and she had invited me to the opening of this thing at oh, Disneyland. You got to go to Vegas, I didn't actually really? go, oh. but
0: but it makes sense of why you've not been,
1: because I feel like you would have been. I would have gone, yeah, bit of a nerd. But I couldn't go that night, so I haven't been to the new Star Wars, and then COVID happened. So, apparently...
0: it's open now, Disneyland. It is? Yeah, you can't go to school, but you can go to Disneyland. You can go to
1: Disneyland and sit in a little pod with a bunch of strangers. Great. But Uh, education, no. Not yet.
0: If it's making somebody money, then baby, you can go. It's open. Put your life at risk. (laughs) Anyway, the dream. In the the
1: dream. dream, I'm waiting in line for this roller coaster with Chelsea. And the dog is like
0: no, I went done. having a meltdown.
1: Oh my god, I can't concentrate at all.
0: Okay, go back. I know it's, this is a rough morning. This is a rough fucking morning for all of us. So, and I'm gonna look at you because I think you're struggling because I'm not giving you eye contact. So let's I am, just but stay you're not with really me. in an eye contact mood today. No, though. no, I'm <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. So as we get up closer to the to the ride. I start to get really nervous, and I'm going, I don't think I can go on this ride. Chelsea, you have to tell me everything that happens. And she's going, okay. So they're going to strap you in, and then you're going slow for a while, and then it's going to slingshot you back, and then it's going to send you down this wormhole. Yeah. And you're going to be spiraling, and then this G-force is going to hit your chest, and it's going to be for longer than is comfortable she said those exact words, and I go, "Um, no, I'm not. I'm not going on this ride." Okay, no. And then I woke up. When I first wake up in the morning, is when I get a lot of messages from spirit. Is how I, I yeah, connect with it. Everybody can think of it in their own way. Some people get powerful messages throughout their day at different times, maybe in the shower or while you're driving. Or mine are right when I wake up. So I'm laying there with this dream in my head. And I had this really powerful connection back to when I was five years old, I went on a roller coaster because my my older sister told me that I would be magic if I did did this. She used to tell me I'd be magic if I did a lot of things, if I stuck a bead up my nose, if I jumped off of a high ledge, it's child, child abuse. trying to kill me, basically. <laughs>
0: My other sister, Talia, told Sarah that if she jumped off the roof with an umbrella, she'd fly like Mary Poppins and the pitch broke her legs. <laughs> but it was worth it because you thought, oh, I might be magic after this. <laughs> the whole time. Think about the magic. Think about the magic. Think about the magic.
1: Exactly. So during the roller coaster, which was the Thunder Mountain runaway train thing oh, at Disneyland. Great roller coaster. But on the roller coaster, I was flattened yeah. to the seat. And I was trying to get my leg out the side to stop it.
0: Okay. You could have broken your leg off.
1: Yes. It was beyond traumatizing. My soul was literally trying to leave my body.
0: <laughs> I'm sorry to laugh. <laughs>
1: and,
0: I couldn't even speak. I was just <laughs> flat with a leg She's out. She's prostrate at this time. I couldn't even <laughs> scream.
1: So since then, I have never gone on roller coasters again. Not only that, but here's where it gets deep. Since that time, anytime I'd be at a theme park with my friends, I would wait in line with everyone. Yeah. And then right when we get up to where everyone goes on the ride, I would step over the ride and go out the exit and wait for them outside holding everybody's purses and whatever yeah when i woke up from that dream it all became so clear to me that in a lot of ways i have waited in line with everyone yeah and then in in life in the experience of life and then when it comes to actually having the experience of getting on the ride i will skip the ride why and wait on the other side but why because I don't want the ride, because it was over, it was traumatizing. And, okay. and I'm not gonna take that chance again. Right. I'm not gonna put myself in that situation again. Yeah. In a lot of ways, I have become comfortable with just hearing about other people's experience, but not actually having the experiences myself waiting in line for a roller coaster and then not having the experience of the roller coaster is a
0: way that I have functioned. You feel like you've been a passenger your whole life, is what I'm hearing. My dad had imposter syndrome. He was constantly, he would say to me, well, you know, before he'd go on stage or whatever, um, I'm just making it up as I go along and hopefully they uh, don't find out who I really am. Yeah. You know, like, I don't know why I'm here. I definitely feel that way. And I don't know. I'm waiting for it to be discovered that I'm not the thing that they think I am. Mm-hmm. And I think that doesn't matter whether you're at your level or at the level of Davy Jones from The Monkees, who was the most famous man in the world at mm-hmm. one point. You still can feel that way. Mm-hmm. And I can't relate to the roller coaster thing of waiting in line and then getting off the roller coaster on the other side. But I can relate to feeling like. You're a passenger, in a way, in somebody else's story. I kind of have always felt like nothing has ever happened to me in my life. Like, I've always just been standing by as things happen to other people. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, and there are so many things that you could say in my life that's not true, this, this, and this, like for instance. I've been through so many experiences, like my ex-boyfriend, my mom being really, really ill when I was younger, and it affected my life in a huge way, and I was her you know, primary caretaker, but it never really felt like it was, it happened to me even though it did happen to me, like she was the sick one, you know, my ex was the sick one. Even being married to an extent, I felt like everyone's marriage dynamics and relationships are different, but, With Ryan being who he was and the life that he had led and the needs that he had, I played as a wife a supporting role. And I was happy to do that and that's what I signed up for. But it is a pattern in my life of being sort of on the side of the stage. Me too. And it's not something I've ever had a problem with. It's never upset me. I've always just accepted that that's maybe my place. And I don't know where that thought process is going. And I know that there's an end to that thread. There's a close to the loop there that I think will reveal itself over the course of my life. I really can relate to that feeling. And I think that it's a bunch of different feelings. And I think that's why you're finding it maybe, I don't wanna speak for you, but hard to identify and say exactly what it is. Cause it's a bit of imposter syndrome. It's a bit of not being able to be in the moment, feeling like you're on the outside looking in. It's kind of a jumble of, of many different things. And for you, it has materialized in this way that's like, well, I've just had a dream that kind of tied everything into one feeling for me. This starts with you getting on the roller coaster as a kid. Mm-hmm. So the root of it is there.
1: The beginning of the thread is when I was five years old and and, and my soul tried to leave my body when <laughs> I was on that roller coaster because I was so traumatized.
0: Did, were you traumatized because you felt like you were going to fall out?
1: No, it was just the physical feeling of the speed. Right. Was too much. It was overwhelming. And 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 it was I I felt like I had to try to stay in my body.
0: Yeah. Which is
1: a profound experience for a child to it have. It really was. It was it was beyond terrifying and it really shaped a lot of the way that I functioned. I never wanted to take a risk like that again. Not because my mind equated it with any any overwhelming situation. Yeah, 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 and yeah. an overwhelming situation means one where we're not in control, where you don't know what the outcome will be. And so I think it stopped me from taking many risks yeah. in my life. And in that dream, when Chelsea was explaining the twists and the turns of the ride to me, the feeling of the excitement from hearing her experience of the ride was the red flag for me. I have allowed myself to become really comfortable and excited by just being close to someone else's experience, but not necessarily having my own. Whoa.
0: Yeah, that's a pattern in your life. It is. Do you think that, I mean, I'm just going from like my own shit and looking at you and us having similar lives and experiences and career stuff what's always held me back massively is is the fear of failure and i think that for somebody like yourself it could be even feel more even high stakes for you because you have put so much time and energy into your training and you do take it really you take your work really really seriously and it's intertwined with acceptance from your dad and your family and all of those things it's like if you kind of or just buy it, then you can't really ever fail. Exactly. Yep.
1: If you're always waiting in line about to get on the ride, you can't fail. You're there in the zone. Yeah, you're getting ready to do it. Yeah. All the excitement is there of what it could be. You don't actually have to risk the failure. You can just skip over that part. (laughs) Yeah. So to me, it was a big... Message of don't skip over that part. You're done skipping over that Mm. part. You're done skipping over the part where you're not in control and where anything could happen. Yeah, it is time to claim it. To claim the full life that you're meant to live. Yeah, in every way,
0: like mess and all, lack of control, mess mess and all, all. mess, (laughs) failures.
1: If we're just waiting on line and skipping over the experiences.
0: Controlling everything, controlling everything, curating your life, and we are dead while we're alive. Yeah, absolutely.
1: And I think there's something else in there that I just realized that is interesting. When I'm waiting in line and then skip over the, the roller coaster, what I do at the theme parks is I'll hold everybody else's bags. Yeah, while they go on the ride. Maybe there's something there, too, about yeah. holding other people's baggage. Yeah. Because, like you said, a supporting role yeah. means to hold other people's yeah. stuff. Yeah. I think that's symbolic also.
0: Yeah. Yeah, something that you're going to need to sit with. Really interesting. But, yeah, I think so many people have that that feeling. I, I know too. that Ryan had it massively. He felt like there was, was always a veil between him and the moment and when i met ryan he wasn't really living his life he was kind of a workhorse and he went from home to work to home to work again worked until midnight he didn't enjoy food he didn't enjoy travel he didn't he just lived to work didn't understand the concept of weekends or cooking a meal you know anything like that Mm -hmm. I think I was an outlet for him to live and I think that's one of the things that attracted him to me and I love coaxing people out of their slumbers it's I think something that I do and I would agree you know and we (laughs) it's fun for me I love it. I love to watch a person open up like a fern, you know, it's and if I can cheer them on while doing that and provoke them and frolic with them. So what I'm saying to you is like I'm a next to the experience, then you know, that for me, I love that. I love that. Ryan really struggled with that and he had to really work on it. And it was the day that he died. Ooh, he went and saw a hypnotist that morning. Did he really? Mm-hmm. And she was; she's one of the only people left living that trained um, under Erickson. So she's like ninety something.
1: For people listening who don't know who Erickson is, who
0: he can is, fill him in? He's like a early kind of psychotherapy professor analyst and he kind of invented or kind of made hypnosis clinical in a way Ericksonian hypnosis is like the blueprint for clinical hypnosis I guess and so Ryan went to see her that morning that he died and she said to him why are you here and he said that he wanted to dig into his brain and he had just taken on some big projects and that he knew that he was, that his actions would be affecting a great number of people now through these projects and he wanted to make sure that he was coming from a grounded, healthy place while working with artists like Coldplay, Charlie XCX, you know, Fosier, all of these people who have huge followings. It was really important to him that he was healthy because it's a trickle down and through effect. And that's where he went. And she said to him, okay, I understand that. I I don't really know why you're here. You are good. Your problem is that you are separate from the moment. And he said to her, yeah, I feel like there's always been a sheet between myself and the moment. She said, okay, well that's what we're going to work on. And... He came out of that, he came home that day, and he was buzzing, and he was like, I finally feel like the, the Vaseline has been rubbed off of the lens, like, I am here now. That was the day that he died. That's been really powerful for me. You know, I have to live with that for the rest of my life, and it's a very strange story, a very strange thing to happen. That afternoon he felt compelled to call some people to smooth some things over and close some loose ends. He had to do it that day. And that's been a big lesson for me. You know, I don't I don't want it to be the day that I die that I am here now. I don't either. You're similar to Ryan. You are a workhorse, you are very serious, very focused. I can just say from my experience with him and watching him, he was never more successful than when he let go. Mm -hmm. And the more he let go every year, the more successful he became Mm -hmm. as a person, as a friend, husband, as a businessman, financially, spiritually. The more he unclenched, the more he let go, the bigger, the better, the more powerful, the more successful he became. The more he didn't mind if there was a garbage truck outside mm-hmm. the house right now. Right, now, yeah. That all our listeners can hear
1: on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. And this last year has really been a letting go for me, and miracles are happening. Yeah. It's a totally different life. <laughs> Yeah, it really is. Because I wasn't enjoying anything before this. I wasn't allowing myself anything yeah. until that work got done. Yeah. And guess what? The work never gets done.
0: Never. It's never, <laughs> never. done. He would always done. say that. It's never done. He <laughs> would clear his inbox of 500 emails. And, and by the time it's cleared, so there's 300 more emails yeah. in there. And by the time he's done that, and there's 500. It's like... It's never it's done. It's never done. No. So you have to make a choice for when yeah. it to be when it's gonna be done. Exactly.
1: Yeah. So, I'm really disciplining my schedule, my uh, calendar book. Yeah. And this week I made some changes. Somebody was asking, you know, can you can you meet me to work on our project in, you know, at the end of your day? It would have been tonight. And I said, you know what? No, I can't. Good. Good for you. I said, it's open, but I can't because that You're half right. of the day is for me. Yeah, good. And so, yeah, I have been making those adjustments this week. But wow, that's crazy that Ryan's last day, he did that. Hmm. Yeah, let's not wait until our last day. Once was a thought inside my head. Before I reached 30, I'd be dead. But somehow on and on I go. On rolling with the flow. Folks said that I would change my mind. I'd straighten up and do just fine.
0: Ah, but I still love rock and roll. I keep on rolling with the flow.
1: This has been on our minds. The language of death. Yeah. And as we're sitting here talking about Ryan, you've said that he died that day.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And in previous episodes, we haven't been using that language as much. We've been saying mm-hmm. passed away or passed left away, us. away,
0: moved on, left us. It's something I've been thinking about a lot, of the language around death, I think. I had a really interesting experience this week where I was looking to get a memorial kind of stone plaque thing put in a place that was important to both Ryan and I and important to our family and we were talking to the manager of this establishment and there was a a slight miscommunication and the guy he didn't really know he wasn't thinking straight and he said that he didn't want that area of the establishment to become a graveyard not knowing why we wanted the the plaque in that area and you know long story short is the way that that death was being discussed in that moment really struck me because I don't want it to become a memorial zone I don't want dates on there in loving memory graveyard all of this kind of negative language around death and almost like it's, there's like a dirtiness to it and I've been thinking obviously about death a huge amount the last three months it's it's been a primary thought in my mind um what death means what it is physically spiritually all of that that moment was very painful for me very awkward for me and on a personal level I had to really I felt embarrassed I felt humiliated and I felt cold my body like physically felt cold and and I kind of clambered to make everyone feel comfortable oh no no it's okay you know once it was realized what what we wanted the plaque for and I've got to stop doing that (laughs) I've got to stop like clambering to make other people feel comfortable at my own expense it took me till the next morning to admit to myself how painful that was for me and it really got me thinking about death again and our attitude towards it. If we had a healthier attitude towards death, there would be no problem with that area of the establishment being a memorial. What's wrong with a memorial? Why has death become so separate from us? And negative and dirty and... It's a dirty word. It is. You know, we don't say he died or they're dead, it's they've passed on, they're no longer with us, it's the body dies, the spirit, the soul, the energy remains. For every action, there is a reaction. Anyone who knew somebody that has passed on, is living in the reaction, which means the energy is there still. Mm-hmm. You know, Even if you just want to look at it like that, what's wrong with that area being a memorial? What's wrong with a graveyard? We can't celebrate people's lives. And then that got me thinking about the language of death. My brother-in-law very sweetly said we lost him last year. And he said that to the manager. Yeah, that made me feel really sad. It, it is, it's all sad. All of the language is sad. It and is sad. For me, like I said, I think in a previous episode, we were talking about my dad and I said, he died. And this was before Ryan and Max died. I would say, oh, my dad's passed on, he's no longer with us or he passed away. And I'm not saying it for me. My natural language is he's dead or he's died. I, I'm saying those soft words frilly, fluffy words to make other people comfortable because other people wince when you say the D words.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I had a really interesting experience only yesterday on this very thing. I was standing with two of my young music students outside their house Mm -hmm. after our lesson, talking with their mom and I was about to walk to my car and one of their neighbors walked by with a tiny dog on a leash. And the kids started playing with the dog, and the, the owner said, oh, this is little Timmy, and he did have his mom. I got them both at the same time, but his mom, and she paused, and she kind of winced, caught herself, and she said, his mom is, um gone away now, mm. not wanting to say died in front of the kids. And the little five-year-old, so smart, goes, where'd she go? Yeah. And the woman refused to say had died. She was like, oh, she um has gone. She's just gone away, just away. And I thought, wow, look at that. You can't mm-hmm. even. We're so afraid of saying it to a five-year-old. So no wonder we grow yeah. up and don't understand how to talk about it because we were being coddled mm-hmm. with it from age five when we needed to understand these concepts. A child can understand death, I promise you. Of course. I promise you. Of course, better than an adult. I understood it when my rat died, Zachary Oliver, as we all well know. My parents came to me, they didn't say, oh, he's passed on. They said he died of heat exhaustion. And I said, okay. I understand God, that. Yeah. I'm angry, I'm sad, I'm devastated. But I get I'm, it. I get it. I'm clear.
0: There's not, well, where's he gone? Where's he gone? What does passed away mean? The, yeah. And no longer with us. Well, who Wait, is he with? You have to tiptoe around it. And, it, and it's, it's so dysfunctional. It's so dysfunctional. And it's like damaging all of us. It is. Okay, so I was listening to Under the Skin with Russell Brand the other day, and he had David Kessler on, who is a grief specialist, basically... Just, Studied and worked on the five stages of grief thing with the woman who invented that. And I found out during that podcast that the five stages of grief were designed for dying people. They were wow. not designed for the li- for, for the living. For the
1: survivors. Wow.
0: And we, and it's morphed over the years. And he was saying how he and that woman and him and she's passed along. <laughs> She's dead. She's died um, now, but like she was on a mission basically to undo the damage done by people taking on that language and that yeah. and those five stages f- for the living. So he's working on that still and he works with the foundation and her family to, you know, keep things going. And he is a grief specialist. He lost his son tragically and um, you know, blah blah blah. Wow. And They were having the most fascinating discussion about grief and death. And, you know, when I was younger and when you were younger, do you remember seeing Hursts driving down the street? Yeah. When was the last time
1: you saw them? Not in LA.
0: You don't see them anymore? I'll tell you that much. I haven't seen one in the past. Ten years. When I was younger, if a hearse would drive by, traffic stops. Everyone oh, stops. Oh yeah, everyone pulls over, so the And we honour the dead.
1: You let the procession go by.
0: Well, now, they move bodies around in unmarked vans.
1: Are you kidding?
0: No. <sighs> hearse no longer pick up bodies. There's no... We don't know... When you, when you see a white or black or grey unmarked van those freezer vans that's how they move bodies around <sighs> them. not even from the morgue to the, the funeral parlour they're in an unmarked van because holy shit God forbid we see a hearse you know and When you think about that, I cannot think about the last time I saw a house. And then he said something really interesting on that. Sometimes they're called private ambulances in England. They're called a private ambulance. I don't know what they are here, just unmarked answer. But houses were built for the living and the dead. They're no longer built that way. But door frames used to be bigger because they were designed to be able to fit the casket through. Yeah. Coffee tables were built big enough and sturdy enough. your coffee table was for, for the casket. right. We lived with the dead. They were in our homes. Mm-hmm. If this had been 30 years ago or 50 years ago, Ryan would have been taken in a hearse to the from the morgue to the funeral parlor. He would have been prepared and, you know, ready. Put in a casket and he would have been brought to our home. Yes. Where he would have sat.
1: For a week. Until the
0: <laughs> funeral. And for some people it's a week. And, and for some everyone people, would have come by month. to view. Some people it's a month. Yeah. You know, and that would have been completely normal. Completely. I'm not saying that to view, like as in the coffin would have been open, but the coffin would have been there and people would have come and laid flowers and had their moment and touched the casket and had all of those things. And he would have been brought through the streets in a house. And people would have exchanged energy with that experience and th- and considered life and death in the moment. We do not have those moments anymore. We've erased it. We've erased death from our not lives. Not only
1: that, but in Los Angeles, you know, it's different in many parts of the world where our listeners are, but in Los Angeles, the graveyards are flat. They look like
0: golf courses. Yeah, they do. Other than those tomb things that you... We have some
1: old ones. We have Hollywood Forever Cemetery. We have some old remaining cemeteries. But the newer ones, all the new ones, are golf courses. Forest Lawn. Yeah. Goes for miles. Yeah. Of beautiful green golf course. I
0: see it from my window, Forest Lawn. It looks like... Not somewhere that the dead are. No. You know, it it's just looks like a beautiful field. I look out the window and it looks like I'm in Hampshire again. In exactly. England, you know, and it's one of the reasons why we loved that house because we found the cemetery beautiful, you know.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I have a lot to say about this too because my mother grew up in Illinois and the farmhouse that's been in our family for 200 years... Was for the living and the dead. Yeah, all the viewings would be at the home. That's where they were taken. You know, my great grandfather killed himself. He hung himself in the barn. Mm-hmm. His body was at the house. Mm-hmm. Family plot mm-hmm. down the road. Yeah, you know the cemetery would be a- across the cornfield mm-hmm. from the neighborhood. Oh, in your garden. In your garden, it's, family plot on the land. It's become so impersonal, and, and- we've completely wiped the experience out. And when I was growing up, any, any funeral that was held for any of my family members was always open casket mm-hmm. because my mom felt that – and all of them on her side feel that that connection with the body is very important for the grieving process.
0: They're not wrong. I just listened to an audio book of one of the world's kind of leading grief specialists and counselors, and she's, she encourages – whenever possible, that children view the body. And if they can't view the body, they need to be shown photos of the body yeah. so that they can understand that this is what's... that, 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 that they're dead.
1: I'm writing this book right now about mm. the side of my family mm. and based on the letters that I have of my grandfathers from World War II. And I speak about this very thing. And I compare it to Los Angeles, how the experience of this death process is so different. It really stunts us emotionally. It,
0: it makes us fucked up. It, it makes really us does. terrified of death. It
1: it takes makes it way more confusing. And when my grandmother died recently, I was an adult, but it was very important for me to connect with her body. I got to Illinois, I went straight to the viewing, which was the night before the funeral. She was in that coffin. At first I wouldn't go in the room. I couldn't just walk up to her. Yeah. It was too shocking. I stood at the door And I waited until I was comfortable. It took me about maybe 10, 15 minutes to see her from across the room. Mm. Then I got up to her. By the time the night was over, I was touching her. I was stroking her. I was looking down inside the coffin. I saw her feet were black. Mm. I thought, why are they black?
0: Yeah.
1: She didn't have shoes on. Why didn't they put shoes on her? Interesting. My mind was just processing. It was, it wanted to touch. It. Wa- I stuck my finger up her nose. I was looking in her ears. What'd they do in there? Mm. Look at the makeup they have on her. Look at the shell. This isn't her. This has nothing yeah. to do with her. Yeah. It helped me understand the process. It helped me come to peace with the process. It helped me find joy mm. in the
0: process. Did I was- you find that you, it has made you healthier about death having that experience of, of seeing and touching and experiencing your, your grandmother's body I that think way. it
1: made it much healthier and I yeah. think it made it a positive thing okay it
0: made me see
1: that nothing is scary about this yeah. that this is the beautiful shell that my yeah. grandmother used for the 90 years of her life yeah. and and it was time for her to let it go yeah and Everybody's experience is going to be different. I haven't always had that opportunity. And you didn't have that experience with Ryan. No. So it's not that we need that experience. Yeah. It's just that it was very healthy for me. And I really think that we should trust children more.
0: Oh, my God. Of course. You know, we've been evolving for this long and we've made it to this point i think it's like it just drives me insane they can fucking handle it better than you their minds are pure and simple and grounded they see things it's like that whole thing don't tell me kids say it how it is and see it how it is and then tell me they can't handle death and sex and life and try they yes there is a way to talk to them about it I can tell you, my niece and nephew, Harrison and Lauren, have experienced so much death in their short lives already. And they are so grounded and so healthy about death. It's beautiful and amazing. And I am so proud of them. And I'm so proud of the way that my sister and her husband have have navigated this with them because it's been hard. There has been a lot of death in our family. And these kids are going to change change people's lives with their reactions to death because it's they are unafraid of it. Yeah. They understand it. They feel free to ask questions. When Ryan died, Lauren had a lot of questions which were answered. Respect the child enough to give them the space to ask questions and have details you don't need to tell them every rotten detail but make it clear for them because the amount ima- like we've said before your imagination will show it's you something worse. so much worse and so much darker and so much scarier than the, the facts of it if we can handle birth we can handle death exactly and if you grew up to this point this age that
1: you're at and your inner child didn't get that experience and didn't get that clarity and those questions answered at that age, do it for yourself now. Yeah
0: we'll put actually'll what we'll do is in the show notes, I'll put some references of, of things that I've been listening to and reading about this and if you have anything as well. Yeah, because for people if this is hitting a chord with
1: anyone and to me when I had that experience with my grandmother, was only a couple years ago, but it felt to me like I was a child. So I think it was my inner child. Doing the work. Doing the work, exactly. And I healed my young self through that experience. So the language around death, the experience around it, the exposure to it, none of it is bad.
0: Mm, No, it's not. And I think that I have immersed myself in this experience because of everything that we're discussing right now. You know, I've I've really always been pretty good about death. I'm I've always been pretty straightforward and, and pragmatic about it. I don't exactly know why because I don't come from a family like that. My mom is absolutely terrible, a disaster with death, so is my dad. I think it's just an instinct thing for me of me just being like, nah, this that what that doesn't seem right to me. Ryan and I used to talk about death a lot. He used to—he was very fr- afraid of death. He wanted to live forever. He wanted his brain to be, like, hacked. <laughs> <laughs> he used to ask me every week, what am I going to do with him when he dies? He needed me to walk him through that. What did you say? I would say to him, I'm going to cremate you. And he would say to me, I don't want you to cremate me. <laughs> I want you to... <laughs> I want you to clean off my bones (laughs) and put them at the kitchen table to frighten all your boyfriends when they come over. Oh, wow. And then he did an impression of his skeleton. At the table? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> arms and hands out and I said am I fuck putting your skeleton at the kitchen table to frighten any boyfriends when they come over you must be mad and I said it's also illegal I can't ask for them to clean your bones you psycho and he said okay okay well what are you gonna do and I said I'm gonna cremate you and he said okay And um, so now I have his ashes at the kitchen table exactly <laughs> you know <laughs> You know, and that's my, that's the middle ground. It's the same effect. It causes the same effect. But here's the effect thing. in when your many countries, exactly. Who's that? Yeah, oh, that's Ryan. Don't yeah, worry about exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, any potential boyfriends on the horizon will be greeted by Ryan at the kitchen table, yeah. judging them. Ryan even judges
1: me when I sit there. <laughs> I, I, you know, I was sitting at your kitchen table a couple times without you, just doing various things I had to get done and he's right there next to me and you know what? He's judging away. (laughs) I you know what, Ryan? Just
0: just shut up (laughs) Just stay over there, okay? Sometimes I move him to the counter next to the kitchen. He doesn't judge so much when he's on the counter. Yeah, well I feel like that. It's like when we have a table full and food on the table and everything, I feel like he's like watching over (laughs) us. So it's it's so stupid because listen, here's the thing I don't even connect the ashes to Ryan you know, like, I don't look at that and go, that's Ryan. For me, it's more like an anchor or something. It's like, you know how Christians will wear a crucifix around their neck? Mm-hmm. And it symbolizes God and church and their spirituality. Mm-hmm. That's what the ashes are to me with Ryan. A reminder. They're the crucifix for me. A symbol. They're a symbol that I can carry with me and have around me of... You know, my love, my place of worship, my church, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. my marriage. And that's what they are to me. So we talked about death a lot. We talked about it every week. Wow. Well, he talked about it every week. He talked about it every week and I... (laughs) You... you Endured, you know, and we knew that he was going to go first. And we knew that it was going to be me dealing with it. I don't know why or how or what or any of the answers to those questions. It was just an unspoken thing between us. This was my job in our relationship.
1: Your supporting role.
0: My supporting role. And God, don't make me cry with that. God. And I just think this is the last time I'm going to be doing that. This is the last time that I'm, I can feel it. Completely, that that was my last supporting role.
1: Wow. And it's come full circle. Yeah.
0: I'm glad it was him. Yeah. I'm glad it will always be him. But, you know, it's just... We've just got to stop, like... Death is sad. We, is sad. We've lost our person. Yeah. That is sad. That is sad. Deeply. I miss That's devastating. how his hands feel. I wish I could sniff his head. I wish I could hear him walking around. I wish all of those things. I wish I could touch him. That's the sad stuff. The body is gone. But nothing else about him is gone. And that is why it's not hard for me to say, dead. Any grieving person any person i have never i I can't say any i will say every person i have met in my life every single one without fail who has lost somebody will tell you the same thing they are still here they are with me i feel them i speak to them Mm -hmm. we're not all kidding ourselves No. We're not all kidding ourselves. It's not some magical woo-woo thing to me. It's as real as this glass of water in my hand. Otherwise, why has everyone got the same story? Ryan's body is gone, but he isn't gone. He isn't gone. Nor is Max, nor is my dad. Nor is my grandpa. Nor too, so. nor any of them. And any grieving person will say this to you. And and this is the stuff that I've been sitting in and working through and bathing in. Because I know I'll never get to the bottom of, of life and death. But I feel I have work to do on this. And a role to play. And yes, as we discussed in the last episode, I take flack from people and energy and vibes on my grief process here. But I feel what I feel. I've experienced what I've experienced. No one can ever, ever, ever tell me that when I woke up that morning and felt that they were gone that I didn't feel that. I had never had an experience like that before. And I think that I need to share this with people. So that if they've had similar things, they know they're not mad. It, you're not mad. We, we're all having it. It's what makes us all the same. So why do we act like it's over when it's not? Yeah. Why do we act like the death is the end? It's not the end. Mm-mm. It's the beginning of a new something new thing. Yeah. That yeah, it's sad. we're not we are not on that journey with them, and that's sad as well because it makes me feel. Left out. Left behind, I said yeah. to you before. I feel why couldn't I come too? I wanted so badly to to go with them and be with them always. I thought that was going to be the rest of my life, but it wasn't. You know, and that makes me sad. They lived. That's where I'm at. Is like I'm grateful they lived. I'm grateful I love them. I'm grateful I knew them. I'm not tied up in the sadness that they are gone. And I wish that we could just all kind of feel empowered to do that more. The last anniversary that Ryan and I had, our second anniversary, um, he wrote me a note on the flowers that he sent me that said, (laughs) Dear Smooch, um, happy two year anniversary, here's to 200 more. (laughs) <laughs> but I believe him. <laughs> I believe it. It's two hundred more. <laughs> We've gotta stop saying passed on. It's just stupid. Oh, passed on. Passed on where? They're no longer here. It's like past the pass the fucking Where'd he go? Yeah. <laughs> um
1: uh just away.
0: It's like pass well, the butter Well where it's like no, you say pass for other things. You don't say it for like the beautiful Yeah, you pass the butter, you don't pass on yeah. <laughs> Spirit, profound spiritual uh,
1: shift of you know what death. We say we should say, oh, um, his body died. That's what should be said.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, where's that's... your grandfather?
1: Oh, his body died on November twentieth. It's
0: okay. yeah. If that's what you want to say, it's like it...
1: however you want to say it, say it. Don't gloss this over. This is this is Annabelle's point. Don't oh, yeah. gloss over at your own expense to make other people comfortable. Don't do it. Because you don't even know what will make other people comfortable. You're just assuming.
0: And I just feel like I'm perpetuating this really like sick habit that we've all fallen into where we don't see the dead. Sometimes I'll post stuff about Ryan on my Instagram and people will send me these broken heart emojis. And it's a big reason why I don't like sharing that much anymore really. Or sharing about Ryan. Necessarily, because I'm so glad you just said that. Because broken heart I, shit drives me fucking crazy. I always
1: make a point. I have never once in Most my life,
0: people
1: don't, never once posted a broken heart emoji for any sad news. Yeah, because I don't agree with that, and it's exactly what you're saying. We have something else that we've spoken about that has come full circle last night, with us going to that party on the yacht. Mm. You mentioned oh, a couple shit, weeks yeah. ago that you had gone to yeah. your first social outing, and you had
0: on another yacht at the same harbor, yacht, which is same where harbor. Ryan and I got married,
1: and last night as we were walking to this boat, you said, "Wow, this is the same path I took. This was my wedding
0: runway, runway, basically." <laughs> now, still how- can't remember the name of the thing. What is the wedding runway? The. um... The aisle. Oh, for God's sake, why can't
1: I remember it? Why can't I? I'm stupid. So, how did you feel last night being in your second attempt at a yeah. social outing, which I was very, very proud of you that you went? I told you yesterday, there's no pressure. You do not need to come. <laughs> yeah. But if you, when you're ready, you'll just try again. You'll try again and you'll handle it a little differently. And every time you'll get better at it. So, was last night any different for
0: you than yeah, the first was, try? Yeah, it was different. It was different. It was hard to walk down onto the dock. I last time I went on that other boat, I went on the other entrance, so I didn't walk down that that area. It's hard to walk past. There's this one boat that says Dream on it, and it's in our the background of our wedding photos. So stuff like that gives me a little pang when I see it, you know, and the memories flood in, and I try to just. Like we're just saying, be glad I have the memories.
1: Not be sad that we lost them, but yeah, be happy but that we I had have them. them. Yeah. People say that all the time, but it doesn't fully drop down no. into their body. No. Which since you said that, I've started having those yeah. experiences, and I hope listeners have too, because if it was helpful for me, I can only imagine it would have been happening to you guys too. Since you said, Annabelle, that there's a difference between intellectually, intellectually knowing something. Or intellectually understanding something mm-hmm. and then knowing it when it drops down into your system, mm-hmm. I've started to feel that difference. Yeah. And I'll be in and I'll go, oh, oh, it just dropped down.
0: I think it's a great tool because it's a great way to check yourself. Like, am I doing this? Do I understand this? It's
1: been really helpful for me.
0: Yeah, because you so can feel it. You can feel it. It, It's like yeah. a,
1: it just it hits. So when you got past the aisle. hmm. To the actual boat and you started interacting with people, there was one girl in particular that came up and asked you a question, right?
0: Yeah, we were just chatting. It's a young woman, probably my age. And, um, you know, just usual chat. What's your name? Where are you from? What do you do? And obviously for me, that's like danger zone questions Mm -hmm. because I'm just like, fucking hell, here we go. Mm -hmm. I felt myself desperately wanting to avoid it and... Trying to veer the uh, boat in the other direction, screeching off into the other direction. Veering the boat away from the shore. I thought, fuck it. I've just got to do. I've just got to be honest. What have you been doing lately? What do you do? And I just said, you know, I lost my husband in November and my best friend, and I've been resting, and I've been recovering. And catching my balance and catching my breath. And she took it like a champ. She said, I'm so sorry. She said, it sounds like that's exactly what you need to be doing. Just as smooth as that. She, what a great, it was that what a great
1: angel to be there to yeah. be your first yeah. attempt. And she... Because this it was process really, is
0: for you, not yeah. for others. It was really grounding because I felt myself leaving my body. I was like, here we go. You know? Well, I couldn't find you because when we got onto the party. I ran
1: away. <laughs> when we got, it wasn't a party. This is COVID. Come yeah. on. It was a couple people. When we got onto the boat, you know, we're, we're saying hello to people and, and, and Annabelle was missing. Yeah, bounced real quick. She had gotten herself up to the top deck and was sitting up there
0: yeah
1: but this girl came up and yeah. found you you know and but there were people up there yeah, still there were people but up there, but I just noticed just, okay guess, Annabelle's yeah. not hanging out in on the inside where everyone is yeah and my attention was on you this whole time because in a way I was I felt a responsibility in taking you here and I knew what I was getting you into mm-hmm. and I knew that this wasn't easy for you and I was kind of Pushing you to do it, which is why I invited you in the first place. Because I know that for you to go to that harbor, down that plank, to those boats, to see strangers, that's the epicenter. Mm. You can't get more in it it than that. And so in (laughs) in my usual pushy way, Mm. I was kind of doing that. But if you had said no, no I would yeah. not. No, I know you would not. But I young. knew what was going on for you. And so as I was talking to other people, my I was always, where's Annabelle? What's mm. going on? Is she okay? Checking on you. And I'm happy that you were able to say that to one person because mm. it didn't happen more than once, right? No, just one time. And if anything, even though it might not have been perfect and I I know it was painful, at least it was a different experience yeah. than when you completely. Yeah.
0: yeah. And it was the first time I've done it since then where I've been in well, literally exactly the same situation. And it's like I was given like a total do over on that to yeah. set the record straight. So I
1: think at least that can
0: replace that earlier experience. Yeah. Totally. And yeah. get you back on track. Yeah. And I feel like I did. I took care of myself in that moment. Right. And it wasn't hard. The idea of it is so much harder. That's what we're saying, the imagination. The the honesty of just me just saying, you know, here's where I'm at. I've just lost my husband and my best friend and I'm just recovering.
1: I wish people would be truthful like that more often when somebody says, how you doing?
0: Yeah. I'm fine. How are you? Fine. Fine. Okay. Bye. Bye. What's you know, that? I've tried also being like, well, you know, I have my routine, and I... Uh, and I'm just like, no, I'm not even saying that anymore. I'm recovering. Good for you. I'm, I'm very inspired by this. Good job. I might be recovering for six months. I might be recovering for a year. I might be recovering for two years. I don't know. But But that's what I'm doing. And I just... It was such a relief to just say it. Because... As I said, it's just the idea of it was so much worse than than reality of it. And like I said, the girl was so brilliant in the way she... You can see the eyes widen for a second. And the person you're speaking to is facing death with you there for that moment. And they have a choice in them. You can see them steadying themselves. And some people recoil and their heads go down and... (sighs) They don't know what to do, and some people will hold your gaze and go, no, I'm fucking here with you, and and that's what she did, and it was really powerful, actually, to see her respond like that and and have that reaction, so I was like, okay, yeah, okay, bitch, I see you are on a level. (laughs) (laughs)
1: got you bitch
0: she said to me you know when you walked in here i felt you had a weight to you she said not a bad weight she said i just wanted to know your story
1: that's a compliment and i was
0: like whoa may we all walk in and bring a weight with
1: us that is a compliment yeah i was like okay
0: that's called changing she sees me yeah i feel attacked (laughs) No, I really liked that girl. I've added her on Instagram because I've like oh, got be her friend. Yeah. Good. Well, I'm proud of you. And Thank I you. think and thanks for making me go. You're welcome. Kind of. I mean, not make I don't say you force me, but you really firmly encouraged me. That is me. my supporting role in your life is to be the pushy bitch.
1: I think this conversation has come very full circle because it's exactly what I described in the dream. It is Having the actual experience, even if it's messy. Oh, yeah. Even when you don't know what's going to happen, even when you don't know what life's going to throw at you, you get on the ride and you take the ride because that is living. And we don't want to wait until the day we die to get on that ride. We want to get on that ride now with however long we have ahead of us. Get on the boat. Get on the boat and ride those choppy waves.
0: Ooh, yeah, get splashed in the face. (laughs) Misted, dusted with the ocean's salty breeze.
1: (laughs) Feel it, taste it, smell it. Mm. (laughs) That's life, baby. Eat it up. (laughs)